Welcome to another edition of the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. The opponent preview series rolling on here. Ethan Greenberg, Eric Allen talking about the Jets and Dolphins. Is this the weirdest scheduling quirk you've seen in your time in the NFL as the Jets and Dolphins play twice in three weeks with a bye sandwiched in between? Unquestionably, the answer is yes. Yeah. When I saw the schedule, it's, uh, I looked at the first half of the season, saw no Dolphins on it. Then that week nine matchup at home against the New England Patriots. And then finally, you have your first Miami game in week 10. So I automatically thought, hey, maybe the Jets are actually going to close with the Dolphins again this year. But no, <laughs> they're coming right back after a bye, after facing them at MetLife in week 10, they'll face each other again in week 12. Easier for the coaches to prepare because all that film work uh, done prior to week 10 will already be in the books per se. And then they'll have to see how those teams match up against each other um, in at MetLife. But yeah, this is uh, interesting and it could play to the advantage of one of these squads because, Hey, say if the jets win at home, hold serve, and maybe they win convincingly, who knows? Uh, maybe they go into that situation feeling awfully confident uh, facing the Miami Dolphins. But what I think greens is that is a critical part of the Jets 2020 schedule. Week nine, Monday night against the Patriots. Week 10 against the Dolphins. Week 12 against the Dolphins because that is half of your division games in a matter of three games in four weeks. And not only that, but two weeks prior to the Jets and Patriots on Monday Night Football is week seven. That's the second Jets-Bills matchup of the season. So it goes Bills, Chiefs, Patriots, Dolphins, Dolphins. That's a that's a, a meaty part of the schedule there for the Jets. And I agree it's going to be very important that the Jets find success in that span. And... I'm just kind of curious your overall take on the Dolphins before we hear from Dolphins analyst John Kinjemi, because I feel like the Dolphins are a team that has so much turnover from the end of last season to present as we're recording this in June. And this is also a team that has the same head coach and general manager, but this is a team that maybe more so than anyone would have benefited from a spring OTA and minicamp in person. And obviously that's not the case. I just wonder, even though I think they're an improved team, I wonder how quickly they'll be able to show that on the field because of the time away from the facility. I like the head coach a lot. I like Brian Flores. Uh, he, he came over, of course, from the New England Patriots. And last year, a lot of people thought the Dolphins were tanking for Tua. Ironically, they finished 5-11 and 11 overall, most notably that Week 17 victory over the New England Patriots. And Tom Brady, as Ryan Fitzpatrick, worked some Fitz magic there at Gillette Stadium. Of course, the Patriots going on to play on wild card weekend and the Chiefs getting the bye. And I think that really helped propel Kansas City to the Super Bowl title. So Fitzpatrick had a hand in that. Yeah, last year, everybody left Miami out for dead. 
but they finished five and 11 overall. Uh, their first victory, ironically, last season, of course, came against the New York Jets. And, but to your point, Ethan, I do believe this Dolphins team improved their talent immensely in the offseason. But how is that going to look and translate early in the season? Because they're going to be working in so many new starters on both sides of the football. And one of the key storylines for training camp in South Florida is where is Tua at physically? And if he is at 100%, when training camp commences, can he push Ryan Fitzpatrick for that week's one starting job? Or are we eyeing Tua for the second half of the season? And that means those matchups with the Jets. All right, well, let's hear from John Kinjemi, who's a Dolphins analyst, and learn what he thinks about this Jets-Dolphins matchup. I feel like the Dolphins, despite being 5-11, were a popular team, especially when you look at the future for this group. So entering 2020, what's your overall take on the Dolphins? Well, I think you have to start with the depth of the roster, number one. I think the Dolphins put themselves in a position of strength after free agency and then the 2020 NFL draft. I think this roster right now, as it's composed on paper, is much stronger, much more well-rounded at at each position than it was going into the 2019 season. And I think you add what Brian Flores does as a head coach and the way he motivates guys on a daily basis, the way he challenges guys on a daily basis. I think this is a competitive group that he's assembled Uh, from the coaching staff down through the quarterback and down through each position on offense, defense, and special teams. It it should be a much improved team in 2020. Hopefully it has some of the grit that the 2019 team had because when you really take a look at that roster, it didn't have any business winning five, six, seven games, but that's where the Dolphins would have and should have been had they come through against Washington in overtime and a couple of other games. The New York game actually up in New York was a a perfect example of one of those games that could have went either way. Can you make the argument, John, that the Dolphins improved their roster more than anybody in the National Football League this offseason? And with that being said, will this team have as many as 10 to 12 to 13 new starters in 2020? There's a chance. There's a chance there could be that many new starters. I mean, just take a look. If you go back, and I know you guys don't follow this as closely as the Jets quite naturally, but the first game of the regular season against the Ravens, the Dolphins had three offensive linemen. I didn't know their names going into (laughs) pregame warmup. I was like, who's that guy? And they actually played and started in the game, and it showed in the score, uh, you know, not only in that game, but the New England game the week after where, the Dolphins were blown out in back-to-back weeks at home. So when you take a look now at, the, at this roster, you draft to a tongue of Iloa. Now, will he start? If he's good enough, he will. If he challenges Fitzpatrick and he's able to start, there's one of those guys that quite possibly could start. Now, personally, I think Fitzpatrick is going to be the quarterback and they're going to allow Tua to compete. And if he's good enough, he's going to play. If not, he'll sit and watch until his time is ready. But at running back, at linebacker, at safety, at cornerback, at defensive end especially, you could have upwards of 10 to 12 guys just at those positions in rotation, not only starting but playing significant snaps. I haven't even started on the offensive line where you may have 
four out of five new names on that offensive line start opening day. So you're right. 10 to 12 is probably a good number. Quarterback excluded, John. What do you feel like is the most improved position on this Dolphins team after free agency in the draft? You know, I'd have to say uh, if, if you're going to pick a position, it might be that defensive end linebacker. And I say that in tandem because whether you run a 4-3 or a 3-4, you're going to have guys at different positions. And, and I think Josh Boyer, the new defensive coordinator, is going to want to keep opposing offenses guessing. I would say, you know, the addition of Kyle Van Noy and you have Ogba coming in and you have a guy like Shaq Lawson uh, from the Bills that come in. Now, their numbers aren't going to, you know, make you go wow and, and jump out off the paper. But where the Dolphins were at those positions, it, it screams improvement for, for this team in South Florida. And it, and it needs to because they were last in creating pressure last in sacks, last in giving up yards on the ground. You have to improve on the defensive front seven. And I think the Dolphins have done that. You know, you have the second year with Christian Wilkins. You have Gotchow who's coming along. You draft Raekwon Davis out of Alabama who's going to help. And I think that linebacker group, Rouge Hill, is going to help. Landon Roberts coming over from New England is going to help in some capacity. So I think that front seven – probably could be the most improved part. And a close second might be the offensive line because you drafted three guys that have a chance to play right away. You get Eric Flowers in free agency, and he had some down years early with the Giants, improved with the Redskins, and you're hoping that his best days are going to start with the Miami Dolphins. For years in New England, Bill Belichick built from the back in. What can you say about Brian Flores and what he's doing there? Because you just mentioned the front seven, but on paper, this quarterback unit is getting to be pretty loaded. You talk about Xavier Howard, of course, but the Dolphins signed Byron Jones in free agency, the former Dallas Cowboy, of course, and then they addressed corner again in the first round. Yes, with Ibn Agony from, from Auburn. You, you get a guy that can play possibly that nickel slot. He might be able to play corner. He could probably play safety. He was a converted wide receiver in high school, goes to Auburn, turns into a defensive back, and he's a guy that loves to come up and hit. So I, I think you have some versatility. And that's a big word, I, I think, for the Miami Dolphins, especially on the defensive side. The more you can do it at each position. Byron Jones is a, is a lockdown guy. Xavier Howard likes to play on an island. Nick Needham was a much improved guy as the season went along for the Miami Dolphins. But you add Eric Rowe, who started as a corner, who's more traditionally in this defense, might be a safety close to the line of scrimmage, can play center field, but gives you that flexibility. And you add him with Bobby McCain, who is a true nickel corner, played some corner, and last year played some safety before injuring his shoulder. So you have that position flexibility that the Miami Dolphins have been stressing last year out of need because you're looking for bodies to play at a high level. This year you put in some names that have had some experience in the National Football League, some youth as well, but you get guys with position flexibility. And I think that holds true from the linebacker defensive end uh, that we talked about just a few minutes ago, it holds true from safety to corner to nickel corner on this defense. And I think it's going to keep opposing offensive coordinators up going, what is this guy? Is he, he's a tweener at, at safety corner, but he's, he's at the nickel corner now. And, uh, and he can also rush the passer. So you get a guy like that in the secondary, you have 
uh, a guy like Kyle Van Noy at linebacker that plays a little bit all over the place. And I, I think it adds to your defensive philosophy. On the offensive side of the ball, when the Jets and Dolphins first met last season in South Florida, Preston Williams had a great game. So I'm just curious what you thought of his rookie year and now what kind of jump do you expect heading into his second year? And what do you make of the overall skill players on the Dolphins offense right now? Quite honestly, Preston Williams was a surprise. This is a guy from Colorado State, wasn't drafted, had some off-field issues. You saw him in training camp, and he kept making those kind of wow catches or, you know, coming up with the football on a 50-50 throw, you know, in a corner of the end zone or around the 50-yard line, taking it away from defensive backs. And you kind of felt like you, you hoped, you crossed your fingers that he wasn't going to be one of those training camp flashes that kind of fade away after game three of the preseason. Well, it had that that feeling after a Tampa Bay preseason game, but he bounced right back in practice, bounced right back in the regular season. And until the injury, you could make the argument he was the most impressive offensive weapon the Miami Dolphins had. You know, I know that Devontae Parker had a stellar year. He had career highs and in touchdowns and yards and catches. But when you take what Williams brings on the other side, on the other side of the, of the wide receiving core, you have a presence, you have size, you have speed, and you have guys that will go up and take the football away from defensive backs, and that's what you like. Uh, and I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick probably brought that out in both of those guys. He gave those guys opportunity to go up and win, gave those guys chances to make plays with their athletic frames. So I would say if, if he comes back healthy from an ACL, you have two wide receivers that you're crossing your fingers. If they stay healthy, they could – they could impose their will on opposing corners that don't have the size and don't have that compete level uh, going up in the air and battling to get the football. All right, let's jump right into Jets-Dolphins matchup in 2020 matchups because this is one of the oddest scheduling quirks I've ever seen. I agree. <laughs> Week 10, the Jets host the Miami Dolphins. Then both teams will have a bye. And then they'll meet up in week 12 in South Florida. What do you think about that and where it falls on the schedule for both teams? The Jets will have a Monday night home game in week nine against the New England Patriots. Short week to prepare for the Dolphins. And I believe Miami is out west against Arizona before they come to New York. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. It, it's quite odd that the NFL schedule, when, when I looked at it, when we had our schedule release uh, a couple of, about a month and a half ago now, you scratch your head going, why are the Jets sandwiched into a bye week? And I looked, you know, the Jets are on Monday night, the Dolphins are traveling uh, from the West Coast, kind of quasi with Arizona. And then you have that bye week so late in the season. I guess for the coaching staff, they're probably – not as uh, upset or, or worried about it or distracted by it as maybe a casual fan would be. You'd like to see the Jets early, and then you'd like to see the Jets late. I know that the AFC East, the way it is, it seems like we either finish at Buffalo, at New England, or at the Jets all the time in cold weather, and we will do so again this year at Buffalo. But that, that bye week sandwiched into the two Jets games, it'll make it easy for preparation, but I think it, it's not as exciting maybe for the fans to get – uh, uh, such a great rivalry in a week 10 setting, have a bye week and then come right back in South Florida and play. I guess uh, for the Jets, it's good that 
the game comes later in South Florida. Everybody talks about humidity and things early in Buffalo. will find that out in week two. But I guess for for the casual fan and for us at covering the team, you'd like to see those two games spread out a little bit more. Ryan Fitzpatrick had a hell of a year last season, and he's such a competitive soul. So he'll want to still have the ball at that point in the season. What do you think, though, realistically, the chances are that Jets Nation sees Tua play in either one of those games? You know, it, it probably sets up well for Tua to play in one of those games. I, I would have to feel like for Brian Flores, yes, did he win the job? Uh, is he ready to play? By that time, he, he, you know, he should check both of those boxes off. But Ryan Fitzpatrick is competitive. You guys probably know it probably a little bit more than I do, just only covering for one year and seeing him up close for one year. This is a guy that goes out every day, and he feels like it's his job. There's only one – there's only 32 – 32 of these jobs around the National Football League, and he wants one of them, and he wants it full time. And I think that's the way he'll prepare. I think he made the 2019 team five wins better than they would have with anybody else playing quarterback, the way he anticipated pressure in the pocket. Uh, I think that Josh Rosen, uh, for all the gifts that he has with his right arm, didn't have that knowledge of, of wisdom and savvy and anticipation of hey, it's time to get out of here and make a play on my own or leave the pocket a little bit quicker than anticipated because it's not safe right now. So I think Ryan Fitzpatrick brought those intangibles to the quarterback position. I think it's probably 50-50 that you may see Tua in one of those games. But if the Dolphins have gotten through the, the tough part of their schedule, which is the early late September, early October, and they get to that middle of the season with Fitzpatrick playing well, there could be a chance that two is still watching. John, I'm curious from a Dolphins perspective, what's a matchup that either you feel like or you think Dolphins fans think is to their advantage when they play the Jets? You know, last year I probably would have said, you know, there was a chink in the offensive line on both sides. So I felt like both defenses probably had the upper hand. There wasn't a whole lot of, of firepower you could count on. I, I thought personally the Jets would find a way to use Le'Veon Bell, and I'm probably, I don't know, what am I, 100,000 in line that you know might have said that in terms of, gosh, you've got a Pro Bowl guy, you've got a guy that can do a little bit of everything. And it just seemed like the Jets never really got going. Now, maybe that was a byproduct of what was in front of him and maybe how to get the, the foot, find different ways to get the football to him. But uh, I would say... If you can see improvement on both offensive lines, it'll make the game that much more competitive and take a little bit more of the confidence away of both front sevens uh, defensively. So, Final question here for me. A lot of people are saying that the AFC East is wide open. Do you agree? And if so, should the Dolphins be taken into consideration here in the division as well? It, I don't know if it's wide open, Eric. I, I think the Buffalo Bills have the best team on paper. I think they, they may have the most confidence in, in the AFC. Now, that being said, New England's been on such a run for the last 20 years, I wouldn't see why they wouldn't feel confident. But when you look at quarterback and, and, and some other positions that they've lost, you've got some missing pieces. There's some big names that are lost on that roster. So I think it gives an opportunity for teams like the New York Jets and the Miami Dolphins to get on a little bit of a roll, to gain some momentum internally first in, in training camp in the preseason, 
and look forward to that matchup against the Buffalo Bills. Look forward to going up to Foxborough and playing New England without Tom Brady. You're not already 10 points down uh, going into New England on the road. And, and when you get him at home, you feel like, hey, this is an even game. If we execute, we should, we should be able to take care of business at home. And usually a split with New England has been a good thing over the last 20 years. This year, I think it's more of a reality that Buffalo, the Jets, and Miami should be trying to get 2-0, but at least get 500 against the Patriots. EA, in terms of specific matchups in the Jets-Dolphins games, I think that all eyes have to be on the Dolphins secondary. That includes Xavier Howard, who the Jets did not see last season because he was on injured reserve. And then they signed Byron Jones. They draft Noah Igbenogany out of Auburn. It just feels like this is the strength of that Dolphins team, especially the Dolphins defense. And, you know, we know Brian Flores is a Bill Belichick disciple, and it seems like he's building the defense in a similar way. Yeah, and like John Kajami mentioned, they improved on the outside with their edge rushers. But the cornerback position, yeah, their secondary on paper, very solid. One of the better units, maybe in the National Football League, especially at the cornerback position. What's going to happen with Howard and Jones? And where is where are people going to attack this Dolphins defense? I would just go back to what we talked about with John Kenjemi is that I think you got to challenge the Dolphins up front. Can you run it against them? And that's going to set everything up. But uh, yeah, it, as far as what they have in the secondary, and he mentioned Nick Needham as well. They got a lot of players back there. There's no doubt about that. And the Patriots for years now, they've had that very good to elite secondary. And you're seeing Miami trying to take a page of that themselves under Brian Flores. Okay, and then really quickly, what about the Dolphins' offense? Where do you think that the point of attack is for the Jets? I personally would assume that it would come with the defensive line trying to manhandle their offensive line that could feature, similar to the Jets, a handful of new faces. Yeah, it's definitely going to feature new faces. And, you know, Ted Karras probably lining up at center. They signed Eric Flowers in the offseason. Maybe Austin Jackson and Jesse Davis are the starters at tackle. But yeah, offensively, Ryan Fitzpatrick, the great thing about Fitz is that from a pass game perspective is that he can work behind basically any offensive line because that ball is coming out really quick. Now, what is Tua going to look like in week 10 or week 12 if he has the ball by then because Greg Williams is a a defensive mastermind and he can confuse veteran quarterbacks with the way he applies pressure. Uh, I think that would be a big time challenge for Tua starting on the road against this Jets defense because while they did make improvements in that offensive backfield, most notably signing Jordan Howard in free agency. Will they be able to get traction on the ground? I think on paper, the Dolphins kind of stood pat at the receiver position, and they have some intriguing guys out there who we saw firsthand can do some damage uh, with their height. Uh, Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, um, they got Alan Hearns, Albert Wilson, but 
uh, are they set there going into the season? Because that's what it looks like on paper. But I don't know if the Dolphins are going to be able to establish the run against the New York Jets. So that means their quarterback's going to have a lot of pressure on it. Again, weeks 10 and week 12 in between those two games, both teams have a bye. One of the weirdest scheduling quirks that I've seen and that EA seen, and we'll see how it all plays out in the season. And that was another edition of the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. The opponent preview series rolling on, taking a stop and talking about the Las Vegas Raiders who come to MetLife Stadium in week 13. <laughs>